everyone. I'm here for one of my stories. This is Lindsay Dunn. Today, I am going to be discussing Fall of the House of Usher, Mike Flanagan's new series on Netflix, and apparently it might be his last series on Netflix. I'm not going to be alone for this discussion. Joining me this evening is Michelle Swope, who is a fellow member of the NC Film Critics with me. We have been chatting on Twitter, looking for an opportunity to collaborate. This seemed perfect. You write about genre films for bloody disgusting and you also contribute to daily dead news and scream magazine you are rotten tomato approved and you've been a critic since 2016 i believe so did i get everything right there or do you have any fact checks for me oh no you did really good yes i've been writing about genre films since 2016 i was previously a staff writer for dread central for about four years and now i'm i'm doing freelance i mostly write for Bloody Disgusting. I also write a little bit for Daily Dead. In addition to writing about horror movies, I also have a column on Bloody Disgusting where I talk about the paranormal. Ooh, so outside of the movie world even. Yes. So all kinds of spooky stuff. (laughs) The spookiest. You've been in NC Film Critics for... Uh, when did you join that group? Um, when we moved to North Carolina, which was the end of 2021. Mm-hmm. So yeah, about two years. Okay, I guess I great. Remember. Now, whenever I do a collaboration, I like to shop on <laughs> Twitter, Michelle. And how I do that is I will look up the topic that I'm going to be talking about. And I see who's already been talking about this topic a lot. And your tweets filled my search when I put in Mike Flanagan. (laughs) So that's how I knew you were going to be the perfect one because that's what I look for. So you must love him a lot. I adore Mike Flanagan so much. And uh, my love and respect for him and his work has just grown, especially um, in the past years. So yes, I I do tweet about him quite a lot. So what's your history with his work? How long have you been watching him grow? Did you did you follow him before Haunting of Hill House? What was your alert about him? Um, Your siren call? (laughs) Yeah, well, I've, I've always been a fan of his work. But Things kind of changed for me, I think, after The Haunting of Hill House and especially after Dr. Sleep, which just blew me away. At that point is when he jumped way up to the top of my list of what I, who I think is one of the best horror directors working today. And he just seems to get better and better with each new project, which I think is pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. Yes, I also watched Dr. Sleep and I enjoyed it. I remember the, thr- the thing that really impressed me about that movie is that it didn't really hold anything back. It wasn't afraid to hurt kids. Yeah, And that was that was pretty shocking to me. I was like, wow, they really put that one kid through the ringer. So that was that was wild. But it wasn't until, for me, Haunting of Hill House that he really got my attention. So I guess, you know, outside of the series, you've probably seen a lot of his movies too. Do you have any favorites of his movie? You know, you mentioned Dr. Sleep, but are there other ones that really get you, um, get you going? I, I really like Hush. 
I really like Gerald's game. Pretty much everything. <laughs> I, I can't think of a single Mike Flanagan project that I have not liked. Yeah, Hush, that's that's the one that's pretty much a standalone show for Kate Siegel, isn't it? <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah. And, and lots of um, little Easter eggs to Midnight Mass, too, which is cool. Mm-hmm. Ah, yes, that's right. That's right. Um, so what is it about him that you love so much? Um, well, I've always thought that his work feels really personal. The characters are always relatable. They're usually struggling with some sort of pain or trauma or grief. For me, I was so moved by Midnight Mass that I watched it all the way through twice the week it came out. And then right after that, I happened to see Mike Flanagan tweet saying that he had been sober for three years at that time, which is something Mm -hmm. I never knew about him. Mm Mm-hmm. And um, I've been wanting to do like a big project on him for a while. So I went back and I rewatched everything he's done at, at that time, back to back, knowing, you know, this new information about him that he had apparently been struggling with his sobriety for I don't know how long. And suddenly his work made so much more sense to me. And so that's why, you know, it felt personal because it was all of it's there. I mean, once I knew that, when you go back and watch everything, you can see it. It's it's all right there, all the struggle and the pain. And so the reason I realized then that the reason that all of his work has always felt like it's coming from such a personal place is because he was apparently struggling. And I think that's really fascinating. You know, we're all struggling with something. Mm-hmm. Um, and so once I I knew that about him and, and revisited everything um, that way, it just made me appreciate his work even more. Yeah, that that's fascinating. Yeah, I definitely agree with what you're saying. It feels very personal. I feel when I watch his stuff, you can enjoy it as, as a horror, a piece of horror. But then you also do connect to the characters and your life. And I didn't know that tidbit either. It is interesting because (laughs) when I watch his stuff, it makes me want to drink because the characters, a lot of the characters drink um, in the show a lot. The same way on like Mad Men, (laughs) you know, you would see characters... drinking and so then when I watch his series and movies I'm always wanting to be drinking whiskey I feel like I should be drinking whiskey but uh, so that's that's interesting I come from a family where alcoholism was a thing so it is it is uh, that is very interesting I think I, I do love how personal things are I love how he keeps using the same actors <laughs> And oh, the yes, Flan- too. yeah, Flanagan's oh, family or Flanagan's favorites, whatever you want to call them. And I don't know. And, and they're all great. Yeah, they're fantastic. Yeah, I appreciate how he'll bring he brings the spiritual in, just different facets of life and everybody I'm sure that there are characters everybody who's watching it can relate to one character or they know somebody like that character that they feel very real exactly yeah yeah Yeah, that's exactly it it's it's so much of it is relatable Mm -hmm. are there other I don't know particular qualities you think we should mention about his work that makes him such an outstanding director I think he really gets what scares us Mm-hmm. And and I, I know I mentioned, um, I, I really appreciate how much he deals with, you know, different kinds of trauma and, and grief and pain because, you know, like I said, everyone is struggling with something. Um, and, and yeah, he, he just, he, he really seems to know what 
what scares people. Mm-hmm. And, and it's not always the same thing, you know, depending on what project you know, you're talking about. He, I, I just think he's really, he's so good at that. Yeah. I think the writing is solid. I mean, they, the acting is great. Mm-hmm. The characters are great, but also the writing. And that's, that's saying a lot for me because one of, when I first heard they were doing this Haunting of Hill House, I was kind of, Oh, ho-hum. It didn't, I was not interested because I'm like, oh, they're redoing a classic again. <laughs> you know, who who needs that? Yeah. Um, but with just like with this series, Fall of the House of Usher, just like, you know, Haunting a Hill House, Fall of the Usher, both of those, they're connecting to classic works, but yet they're also their own thing. The, the classic, it's not a direct rebranding. It's, Taking it as a basis and then becoming its own beautiful story that you know you can appreciate you can appreciate on your own, even if you didn't know that background. But he definitely he must really love literature. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. And, and I I don't know if you've seen the the new documentary about Stephen King. I haven't. It's really good, and I never knew what a massive Stephen King fan Mike Flanagan is until I saw that documentary. And then, of course, you know that clicked <laughs> because mm-hmm. if you look at his work, it's it's kind of obvious. It, yeah, it totally is. <laughs> in, yeah. in fact, that's that's why he was such the perfect person to direct Doctor Sleep. Let's focus on the TV series right now. So do you have a current, before you watch Fall the House of Usher, what was your series ranking? Before House of Usher, it my ranking would be from my favorite to least favorite, Midnight Mass was just so moving for me. And then The Haunting of Hill House, The Haunting of Bly Manor, and The Midnight Club. Okay. We've got everything the same except the last two would be swapped. But oh. I'm showing <laughs> I'm showing my colors because I'm a I'm a teen librarian. I love Christopher Pike. So I just really enjoyed yeah. that I'm like Mike Flanagan's basing a series. And it had all teen characters. I loved that that he, you know, brought this different age group and now we have a new generation, even though we already had teens in the in the Flanagan verse, but there, there are now more of them that have joined in. It is interesting how I feel that probably those two, Midnight Mass and Haunting of Hill House, from people I've heard, I definitely think those are the strongest two of his series and seem to be the most beloved. So why do you think, and this isn't a question, I'm sort of throwing something out here, but why do you think a lot of people didn't resonate with Bly Manor as much? I don't know. Yeah, I've thought about that a little bit, actually, and I'm not sure. Um, maybe they they you know felt like it was possibly a little too similar to Hill House in some ways, or hmm. you know, um, yeah. I, I really I really don't know the answer to that, and I I haven't really seen anyone post online their explanation for right. for that. But I've I've noticed that too. I, I I don't know the answer to that. Yeah, yeah. It's always it's always nice when somebody puts you on the spot, right? <laughs> You're like, well, yeah. <laughs> But it's something it's something I'm curious about. And honestly, I haven't revisited Bly Manor. So probably that's what it would take if somebody would really have to go back and be willing to kind of go through it again. And I don't know. Yeah, I, I think I loved the thing was I loved Haunting of Hill House so much that I was kind of like, well, maybe maybe I'm just not going to love anything of his as much anymore. But then when he came out with Midnight Mass, you're like, oh, well, dang. OK, 
Um, All right. So with Fall of the House of Usher, we have this beautiful new series coming out in two days on Thursday. Both of us got a chance to watch it early. Uh, Thank you, Netflix media site. (laughs) Netflix press media site. Um, So we will be releasing this after it comes out to the public. Our first segment here, we're going to be talking about the show with with no spoilers. We'll have a slight spoiler discussion. Even though we're releasing it after it comes out, I want to um, make sure we give people an alert. But a brief synopsis of the show is as follows. Tragedy has befallen the richest family in town. Roderick Usher has just buried all six of his children, each of whom died in macabre and mysterious accidents. Contemplating this news in his office, Assistant U.S. District Attorney C. August DuPont receives a mysterious phone call. Roderick asks August to meet him at his childhood home. When he arrives, Roderick tells August that he wants to confess his crimes on tape. August, who has been trying to build a case against the family for decades, reluctantly agrees. Over the course of eight episodes, we listen to the strange tale of the House of Usher, a tale of longing, conniving, desire, ambition, and unchecked greed. The episodes include the details of each child's death and a piece of the overarching thread of how the Ushers built their Tower of Avarice by peddling pain medication. What are your overall spoiler-free thoughts about the show? I, I, the, Main thing, I love so many things about it. Oh my gosh. Um, uh, The main thing that I love is how he just perfectly weaves so much of Poe's work into a reimagining of the fall of the House of Usher. And it just works so well for me. I also really love how some of the characters even recite some of Poe's poems. Um, right. Like Annabelle Lee and the Raven that we actually get to hear um, in the series. I do also like... There's there's several references to current events. Um, I mean, things mm-hmm. are mentioned like AI, um, the Supreme Court, um, a lot of other things. I'm not going to mention because those would be spoilery. I, I like how the deaths of the Usher children are each inspired by a Poe short story, mm-hmm. and the deaths are really pretty brutal for the most yes. part. They really are, <laughs> um, and the imagery and the overall look of the show is just so incredible. I really think that horror fans are going to love this so much, and it's perfect for spooky season. Yeah, I I, I was impressed also with just the weaving in of the Poe works, how it's, you know, some of them are inspired by sometimes you're just using a word or like a name of something. So a character might be named a particular thing, or a building is named a particular thing that just happens to be a Poe Easter egg. It's just it's just delightful. He has these six kids, and they can all represent some facet of of um, an empty life (laughs) and it's just it's beautifully put together you have the overall thing about the the pain medication and opioids so there's these big themes you mentioned ai things that are very topics that are very relevant and then there's these universal things also that get brought in the deaths, as you said, are very brutal and it feels so timeless and modern at the same time. <laughs> so, yeah, that's, yeah, that's a perfect way to put it. It does. It really does. Yeah. So let's talk about those characters. <laughs> Which ones really 
stole the show. There's so many good characters, but yet, do you have any favorites in there? Oh my gosh. Yeah, I've been thinking about this. It's, I think the casting is brilliant, first of all, in this show. It's just, everyone just seems so perfect for their role to me. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's kind of amazing. And all of the performances are phenomenal. So it's really hard to pick just one or two. Um, but I would have to say... Mark Hamill really stands out as Arthur Pym. He seems like he probably had a really good time with that role to me. That's the impression <laughs> I get. And um, also, of course, Carla Gugino is so spectacular as Verna. Um, she's just kind of mesmerizing in every scene that she's in. Mm-hmm. So I, I, if I had to narrow it down, it's really hard. I would pick those two. Okay. I Well, I also had Arthur Pym, Mark Hamill. <laughs> It's so fun to see Luke Skywalker <laughs> playing playing this. What would what would you call him? His, he's like a guard dog for the family. Yeah, no, he's so hard to figure out. Actually, his character is really yeah. complex. Yeah, no sense of humor at all, and there's none of that right. sort of bumbling young young punk we saw. Um, and when he was when he was Luke Skywalker, I also just adore Rahul Kohli as Leo. <laughs> he it's oh, fun yes. because okay, if we look back at his at his roles so far, you know, on Bly Manor he played he played this chef, <laughs> and then in Midnight Mass he plays the sheriff, which he, he's he's th- playing this very tough role. He's in the small town. He's the only Muslim in a world of Catholics, trying to raise his son. And so it was a very, again, it was sort of a straight-laced character. Now he gets to be kind of a big jerk. <laughs> I mean, they all play jerks. <laughs> but but he's getting tattoos to... And everything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, I also put down Samantha Sloan. Like, she's always fabulous in everything. But her character, for me... Uh, Tamerlane, I think is her name, or Tammy. She's very mysterious to me. What makes her tick? So I think it's it's defying. And her husband is this Bill T. Is his name? His name. He's played by Matt Bedell, who has been in Mike Flanagan's stuff, but I didn't recognize him because he a lot of times has a beard. And I realized he played in Midnight Mass. He played this character that. Samantha Sloyan Bev got to boss around. And so now in this role, she gets to boss him around again. <laughs> yeah. I didn't so Matt Bedell seems to be keep getting, he seems to be getting the short, shorted end of the stick. So there are there any actors that you, okay, we've talked about our favorites, but I guess I put down playing the most against type. But what I really mean by this is, again, we have, Mike Flanagan is, he gives these people a diverse set of roles. Um, Samantha Sloan's a perfect, I'm probably saying her name wrong, but she's a perfect example of this because in Haunting of Hill House, she kind of played this dormant sort of wife that's not not feeling so great about her marriage and is, uh, you know, she's just sort of a surly, surly wife type, but kind of a quiet soul, I would say. But yet in Midnight Mass, she plays this, just this crazy lady that with lots of religious fervor so i guess what i'm really asking is who is who is playing the most different characters from who they normally 
do or that you've seen recently? Um, it's funny that you already mentioned Raul Coley because that's that's who I would to, for me seems to be playing the most against type. That's you true. know, <laughs> from when mm-hmm. he usually plays because he's yeah, like he's all covered in tattoos and he's really a jerk and <laughs> you know he's this horrible person. Well, all the usher kids are not great people, but you know he to for me he he's just so different um, from any of the other characters I've seen him play. So that was really fun to see. Mm -hmm. Now, I believe Henry Thomas, is that, that's the name of the oldest Friedrich, Frederick? Yes. Henry Thomas. Yeah, the E.T., the E.T. kid. (laughs) Yes. I don't think we've seen him play a jerk yet. So he's also, I think, putting in some work. I don't think we really have, have we? Yeah, Hmm. he was the dad in... Um, you know, he was the dad in Haunting of Hell House, and then he was another sort of a good man. You know, he's playing a good man in, in uh, Midnight Mass also. His, uh, they're all, all the kids are despicable, as we said, yes. but some can seem more despicable than others. And he's, he was one of the people I would put in the more despicable category. <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely by the end. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. All right. So we already mentioned the fact that you you love the Edgar Allan Poe angle. Yeah, I well, I have to say I I'm not like at all, you know, some, you know, Poe expert. And it's probably it's been at least 20 years since I've read any Poe. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was so interesting to to watch Flanagan's interpretation of the short stories. And again, how he just perfectly just wove them all together into this really magnificent piece that I, I think just works so well. Right. I think the the stories, the story I was most familiar with of Poe's work was Casca the Amontillado. And then mm. some of the poems, but I hadn't really, Mask of the Red Death, for example, I had never read that story before so yes the interpretations are great and you you might already mentioned how sometimes they're citing poetry and you don't even realize it's going to end an Edgar Allan Poe although I did kind of suspect in some cases because people were reciting things in front of say a church and you're like that's okay this is a good speech but it is a little a little archaic sounding that you would say this in this setting. Um, it just might be an Edgar Allan Poe poem. So you should ready to Google some stuff maybe while you watch this. Oh, I was, yeah, I was Googling a bunch of stuff. <laughs> yeah. So I think we can go into spoilers now. So let's talk about those, those deaths. <laughs> Which ones? Oh I don't know what what what's which is the most memorable death for you. I have two mm-hmm. favorites, and and without naming the characters, I will say that my favorite um, is a party scene, and there's a remix of a Nine Inch Nails song playing. By the way, there are some great needle drops in this series. I have to say that mm-hmm. just. I, I, well, we're I, in we're in spoiler talk now, so you can say the character, Michelle. You want me to say the character? Well, let, I'll, let me just do this. Okay, okay. If you haven't watched the show yet and you don't want to have it spoiled, 
go ahead and shut it off, watch it, and come back because now we're getting into spoilers. Okay, so yes, you can you can spoil it, Michelle. Okay, it was Prospero who mm-hmm. was having this wild party, and um, yeah, like I said, there's a great uh, Nine Inch Nails remix playing. Everyone at the party melted um, when acid or whatever toxic awful stuff was in the water rains down on them and I just thought that was glorious <laughs> I mean as a mm-hmm. horror fan <laughs> I just thought that was just awesome um my second favorite would have to be uh, Tamerlane mm. with the mirrors I don't know how they did that but it looked so cool <laughs> um, you know I mean I'm sure it had to be CGI at least some of it you know I mean Obviously, they couldn't have really done that, but but um, yeah, her her death was just had such a cool look to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm I, I've only I'm I'm on my second watch, so I need to watch some of these again. But I I do agree about Prospero's death being the most brutal. It's sort of it's sort of sad that oh that was the first one, <laughs> um, but it's. It, it it is gruesome and it just I don't know for me that seared the screen I was just oh I've gone back and watched that scene several times it is it is really gory and unbelievably you feel that I feel like you feel that one intensely when yes. it happens yes um, I agree I agree yeah <laughs> you you're just kind of like thinking about how that would feel and it's you know they have these sounds like goopy sounds that happened yes. where you hearing like the fleshy melted skin yeah yes. it's just gross yes it's a very gory yeah and then i don't know i guess maybe it, part of it is because i like rahul Kohli, but also like that cat was oh you know i'm like oh the cat you know i like cats so <laughs> <laughs> I, me um, too. I'm a cat person, so yeah, that one's it's hard scene. It's like you kind of are rooting for the cat, right? <laughs> yes, definitely, definitely rooting for that cat. <laughs> um, but yeah, they're all super creative, and I think you know it's not a it's not a death, also, but I am completely horrified by what happens to Morella, the um, Frederick's wife. And I can't wait for somebody to cover that a little bit in more detail because for me, it was a little unclear what was happening. It's just that she wasn't getting any kind of treatment for her burns. So it was just the whole being held a prisoner in your own home. Yes. And you keep wanting her daughter. His, yeah. That just made his character so much. He just got more despicable as time went on, you know, because mm-hmm. of what he was doing to her. It yeah. just made him even worse. He just kept getting worse. And he just so kept he, bowling. I, I think completely deserved what happened to him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He just kept bowling. It's like, yes. You have other, you have stuff, other things you need to take care of besides your bowling game. Was there anyone in the cast you wish had more screen time? I I don't really think so. I mean, that's kind of a hard question, but I feel mm-hmm. like since I, I really love how each episode focuses on the death of a particular character. And I yeah. feel like it does a pretty good job of spreading out, you know, the screen time among the characters. So I don't, I didn't really finish the series feeling like anybody was left out um 
at least for me. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I guess the thing is, I really love Robert Longstreet. Mm-hmm. And now, did I want more of that character? Not really. <laughs> but I was kind of sad that we didn't have more Robert Longstreet overall. And then Annabeth Gish also, she was on such a short time. Yeah. They were there. They were in there. But again, did we need more of that character? Again, I don't know. But I guess maybe Robert, I want Robert Longstreet to get a longer, like a more main role, I think, in the series eventually. He always plays a side character, but I think he has the best voice and he always, I don't know, he's always a screen stealer for me whenever he's scene stealer. Whenever he's on the screen, I just, I'm drawn to him. I think he has a great speaking voice. I remember his monologue from Haunting of Hill House was one of my favorite moments because this guy has just been the maintenance man so far, but he came in and just nailed his monologues. So I'm just, I'm ready for him to get a longer role in something else. I agree with that. Yeah. Cause he's always good. And yeah. Mm-hmm. I, and like, and like you just said, I like his, he does have a really cool voice. So yeah, I, I hope that at some point Mike Flanagan or somebody gives him a, a, a bigger a bigger role because mm-hmm. I would also like to see that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting that a lot of the the original we're getting more Flanagan family, but I feel like a lot of his a lot of his original cast have these very old fashioned sounding names like you know like Robert Longstreet and then Annabeth Gish. You know, <laughs> of course, it reminds you of Lillian Gish, but they just sound like classic movie celebrities from the get go. <laughs> Okay, so what about rewatchability of this series? How rewatchable do you think this series is? Because going in, we have there's a, there's a mystery. There's this mystery of what's really going on, and there's the the other mystery of who's the mole. So there's these mysteries. So sometimes when there's a mystery, there's a problem where you're like, okay, could we wa- would watching it a second time be as enjoyable? So what are your thoughts about that for this series? I think it's extremely rewatchable. Like, I I honestly just have this urge to just watch it on repeat, at least for the rest of October, (laughs) because (laughs) I loved it that much. Mm -hmm. Um, I can't, I cannot wait for Thursday to get here so everyone can see it. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, it's extremely rewatchable. Yeah. Well, at the very least, I will say that watching it, I've started on my second watch and there's, there's things that slipped through the first time as I'm watching it because you didn't you were trying working hard to try to keep track of the characters names especially on the first episode they just get name dropped in the conversation well this person and you're kind of thinking well who who is that (laughs) they're talking about which face so it does you can definitely like connect the dots and rewatch it at least once and it probably will be rewatchable I it's it's hard to know until you actually do that and I think this this series has, and Flanagan always does this. Like he has, it has different levels. There's the mystery, but then there's also these other themes that about like the trauma and the greed and the legacy of their family and how that played out. Those overarching themes, I think, can be help them continue to watch it and be able to get something out of it. Yeah. Well, that actually goes into our next question uh what did you get out of the series a lot of a lot of his stuff a lot of flanagan stuff always has has themes it has 
greater things to say to us outside of just the story. And I'm wondering for you what what those themes are. And it could be, it, you know, sometimes things change. You watch a series two years later, it might say something different to you. But on here, on your original watch, what was what were your takeaways from it? Um, I, I like how it showcases uh, the things like greed and capitalism and how those can affect people. And of course, tragedy, pain, a super dysfunctional family, karma <laughs> um, <laughs> is a big thing in this series. Um, but I think the biggest thing to take away from this, um, and I think maybe this is said maybe at least once um, actually in the series, but um, is that being wealthy doesn't make you rich. Hmm. Um, I think it's uh, August Dupont who, who says something. I think at some right. point. Um, but I think that's for me, probably, I mean, there's a, there's a whole lot to, to, to take away because there's, there's so many layers to, to the story and what's going on. But, but I think that that's really important. And I don't think a lot of people think about that maybe as much as they should, you know, being rich, like, do you have a rich life? You know, it isn't about money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and then I think there, of course, there's the big thing about opioids. It's a big topic. It took on yeah. a slightly different level for me during in the past couple weeks because I had to get on painkillers uh, for an ear infection <laughs> that was very painful. My ear was very yeah. swollen. So I had to, well, I didn't have to, but I asked them <laughs> for pain medication because it was so darn painful. But you are terrified to take anything like oxy, yeah. oxycodone. You just... You feel so scared. And so watching this series made me think about that and how many people get addicted. And he has this whole sales pitch that he goes into the boss about a world without pain. Mm, and yeah. for so many of so many of us, I'm including myself in here, you have you have the you have pain and you you wonder where it's coming from. And you're willing to do almost anything to to try to help it, but you do actually don't often know where it's coming from. And in this family, we have the same thing. Did did Roderick Usher ever ask himself where do where is my pain really coming from? He identifies, and we're in spoilers, so we can talk about it. But he he mentions to August that everything that happened, all of our choices happened because of my mother. And he watches her suffer through pain and she doesn't want to take anything for it. Right. And it doesn't really go too deeply into that. Maybe it's because she thinks you should pray instead of taking medication or that it's weak to take medication. I'm not sure exactly. But there was this whole thing about the origin story and how he got started. But did he ever ask himself, what is it I'm trying to prove? Like, why do I have to be the richest person. Right. Right. And I'm trying to think of what else I got out of this. I don't know. It's just a terrible, terrible tragedy. What did you make of the final decision with the sister? It was it was interesting that they built all this stuff about Cleopatra. You kept she kept seeing the the sister talk about immortality and how important it was. She showed uh Lenore, she was showing her these artifacts, how, you know, the what the Egyptians used to do. And then 
the character of, I'm trying to remember her name, Verna. She actually calls her Cleopatra, Madeline. She calls her Cleopatra later. Um, so what did you make of all that? Oh, she does. Oh, well, hmm. That that's something I probably need to give some more thought to because that's that's a good point. She does. She uh, she, she might even call her Cleopatra a couple of times. I'm trying to remember if she does, but that's true. And yeah, there's a lot of mention of artifacts and you know the the, the giant sapphires and, and and all the other things that Roderick had acquired uh, because he could. Um, mm-hmm. So I don't know. Um, I, I, yeah, that's, 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 that's something I really need to give more thought to because I feel like there's got, there's probably a deeper meaning to it, you know, knowing my planning and I would assume that there is, um, but, but well, yeah, I, I don't know. Um, yeah, this just proves it's rewatchable because we have questions now. <laughs> yeah, there's so, and yeah, there, and, and like we were saying, I, mean, I was Googling, um, uh, because there was, uh, you know, a poem or two that I, I wasn't familiar with, but I was like, this has got to be Poe. You know, there's, yeah, there's so much stuff in the series <laughs> that, yeah, I think that people are going to need to watch it more than once. Mm-hmm. I mean, they'll binge it. They'll binge it hard <laughs> oh, yeah. and go through it. Oh, yeah. But then there'll be these these questions that worth pouring over because there seems to yeah, be definitely. something something being said about immortality and there was this yeah. connection with, you know, they bury the they bury the mother and she's not dead or she gets reanimated. And then it's sort of that sort of echoes throughout the show, too, is that, you know, that very much connects with the ending as as well. And <clears throat> but maybe, maybe somebody maybe can do a great. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's something that I definitely need to give some thought to, but maybe they feel like, you know, because there's a thing where Roderick talks about, you know, all, all the things that he had to go through to buy those sapphires, for instance. You know, maybe they feel like they're, they're so wealthy at this point that they can somehow buy immortality. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, he was all interested in the heart mesh. Mm-hmm. He wanted to keep living. But yeah, right. that's a good point. I do. Yeah, did. Because it wasn't clear to me at the end whether he was trying to kill his sister or if he was trying to preserve her yeah that's such a good point so yeah i'm gonna have to give some thought to that yeah okay well we're coming to probably the end of our time are there other topics or questions you want to discuss um i don't I, I I don't think so. I think we've got there, there's there's so much. I mean, we could mm-hmm. talk about this for probably hours easily <laughs> because there is so much in there. <laughs> um, I'm just excited for it to come out on Thursday, yeah. So everyone can see it. Do you have a thought about where you put this in your ranking now? It's I've been thinking about that because I was so moved by Midnight Mass, but mm-hmm. I think I feel like I've just started a rewatch of Midnight Mass by the way, but I'm just like at the beginning of it, but I feel like House of Usher is probably now my favorite Flanagan um, wow. favorite thing he's done, period. Not just his favorite series. I mean, it just blew me away. Yeah. It's definitely, and I put this in my individual review, I feel like it's strong, like well-crafted. Mm-hmm. It's technical. From a writing perspective, it's probably the best thing he's done. But like you, I have such a strong emotional connection to both Hill House and Midnight Mass. 
So I'm not sure I would say I like it better, but it's definitely a very, you know, it's well put together. And sometimes things need to grow on you too. But right. So let my listeners know how they can follow you if they want to keep you gave us some sources, but where's the best place to follow your work? Um, I'm trying to not use Twitter as much for <laughs> obvious reasons. I'm sure everyone is aware of. Um, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm on blue sky more. Um, Twitter was pretty much the main social media I used until the past year. Um, but I have the same username. It, I'm redhead for Mars um, on Twitter and, but I'm, I'm on blue sky more and I know it's invite only, um, but we get um, invites like every two weeks on there, you know, that we can give to our friends. Um, so yes, uh, um, it's kind of a, a long answer to your, your question, but I'm, I'm <laughs> trying to be mostly on blue sky right now, mm-hmm. but I am still on Twitter a little bit. Um, redhead from Mars. Um, I am on Instagram and you can find me. You can just search my name. It's Michelle Swope on Instagram. All right. Well, Michelle, thank you for joining me on this Flanagan talk. <laughs> Flanagan so features. I was so yeah. excited to get to talk about my plan again. So thank you so much for asking me. <laughs> yeah. And we'll just keep putting our, putting our feelers out in the universe to get our interview with Mike Flanagan one day. <laughs> yes. It's hard because he has, he never stops working. So <laughs> yeah, if he, if he ever takes a break, hopefully it'll happen. So, well, we should mention the series does debut on October 12th. So two more days and everybody be, will be able to watch it. So make sure to check it out. It's wonderful. And it is the perfect, the perfect thing to watch for the month of October. But horror is for every time of year. Am I right? (laughs) That is correct. That is correct. (laughs) All right. Well, that is it for this discussion. And I will see you guys next time on one of my stories. Goodbye. (laughs) 